Well, I want to welcome everybody who's watching. If you're in our campuses in Waterbury, New Milford, or in our Derby campus, welcome to you. But also for those of you who may have found us online, my name's Brian. I'm one of the lead pastors at Walnut Hill, and it is a privilege to be able to share from God's Word today. Uh, for many of you, you know that we are in a season that we're calling Ignite Compassion. We're really learning what it means to be compassionate people. We've been saying this year we're hoping to grow in our love for people. Uh, we really want to bless others. We want to be able to step into other people's lives ready to help, into their suffering, into their trouble, into their celebration, whatever it might be, willing and ready to help. This is a year that we're calling Ignite Compassion. We've been saying a prayer throughout this year, and the first part of the prayer was, Lord, transform our hearts. We were really asking the Lord to give us a heart transplant, that we would adopt his heart uh, for others. And now we've turned to the second part of that prayer, which is, Lord, give us your eyes. And in this, we've been praying a couple things. One is that we would adopt the eyes of God so that we would see others in the way that God sees them. But secondly, that we would see the activity of God. You see, we believe that the Lord is alive, the power of his spirit is moving, and God is active right now where you're sitting, whatever room it is, God is there. He's present through the power of his spirit. He's doing things. And we want to be a people who can see the activity of God so that we can join in, enter, and participate with what God is doing. And so as we were thinking about this, we thought it'd be a great idea to learn from Jesus himself, who had 20-20 vision for what God was doing. And so we are in the book of Luke, going through a four-month series called Red Letters. The red letters are those words of Jesus in the New Testament. And today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 5 again, but now we are in verses 17 through 26. I'm also going to talk a little bit about verse 16 as well. This is a fantastic story, an amazing story that I believe will challenge us today and will also encourage us. Um, what I'd like to do is just walk through the passage line by line and then at the end provide a little bit of application, uh, what we should see and take from this passage today. So let's dive in. I do want to start in verse 16 of chapter 5, and this is what it says. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I think that this is an important verse for us to reflect on as we go into this story, because Jesus often retreated, often went away to solitary places in order to meet with God. This is important for us because remember, Jesus is walking the planet at this time as a living example of what it means to follow the Lord. And so it's an example to us as well that we need solitary places. We need times with the Lord where we spend it with him alone. And this is what Jesus does. What the fascinating thing is if you look through the Gospels and you look at the life of Jesus and how he went away to those solitary places, oftentimes what you'll see is he goes away, he prays, and then what follows are major events. So already in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen Jesus go away and pray several times. One of the times was just in, in chapter 4 where Jesus goes away and prays. Then he comes out of that and he chooses the disciples. Well, again in Luke chapter 5 here, Jesus goes away and he prays. And then the next thing that follows that is a major event. 
Jesus is doing something extraordinary. So let's read on and see what happens. In verse 17, it says this, and I'll read all of verse 17. It says, One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Let's pause there. There's a couple important things here. It says, One day, while Jesus was teaching, Now, this story that we're about to hear and reflect on is included in three of the gospel accounts, in Luke's account, which we're reading here, but also in Matthew and Mark. Whenever that happens, it's really good for us to read all of the accounts so we can get a a fuller picture of what's taking place. When you read Matthew's account and Mark's account, you learn that Jesus is still in Capernaum. Uh, And then also we learn that it's probable and likely that he was in the home of Simon. Again, Simon would become Peter later. And so it says one day while Jesus was teaching, so he's in Capernaum, maybe he's in the home of Peter and he's teaching again. We see this already in the Gospel of Luke as a major point of Jesus' ministry, that he was teaching, that he was sharing about the kingdom of God, that he was describing what this new way, this new kingdom looked like, the kingdom that he came to usher in looks like. In fact, we remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus walked into the synagogue in his hometown, and he began to share there. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah, he picked a passage, Isaiah 61, and he, he He professed this prophetic word about himself, how he fulfilled it, that he came to bring good news to the poor. And now we see Jesus fulfilling that as he goes about his ministry, teaching, bringing good news to the poor. And over and over again, we're going to see Jesus doing this, going from town to town, place to place, announcing that the kingdom is at hand and teaching the people about it. And so it says, one day while Jesus was teaching some Pharisees, and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. This is the first time in Luke's gospel that we read about the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. They're going to repeat themselves throughout this story, throughout the gospel of Luke. And there's this relationship that begins right here between Jesus and the Pharisees, a complicated relationship. And we begin to see these Pharisees who are are already taking notice of Jesus and opposing what he's doing, yet Jesus standing up in the face of the Pharisees. So we need to know a little bit about who the Pharisees are to understand what's taking place here because Luke is actually painting a beautiful contrast in this picture that he's sharing of this story between the Pharisees and these friends that we'll learn about later, between the Pharisees and the crowd that's in the room that we'll see later, between the Pharisees and the man who's healed and their reaction, there's this contrast that's taking place. And right here in Luke chapter five, we see the beginning workings of this relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, we know as we read through the Gospels that it's this group of people called the Pharisees uh, who would try to trick Jesus. It's this group of Pharisees who would condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath and challenge him and his disciples. It's this group called the Pharisees who would plot to put Jesus to death. And ultimately, it's this group of Pharisees uh, who would lead Jesus to his crucifixion. Uh, This group of Pharisees really opposed Jesus. Why? Well, the word Pharisee actually means to be distinct or separate. In their very title, 
uh, it, it means to separate, to, to have distinction. And this is really what the Pharisees felt their job was, was to make sure that all the Jewish people were following such a way that they were distinct and separate. And the way that they did this was that they created 613 laws for the people to abide by. And if they abided by those laws, they would be distinct, a distinct people group. And they thought that by following these 613 laws, that all 613 were there to support the primary 10 commandments that were given to Moses by God. But if you followed these 613 laws, it was the pathway to holiness. But Jesus comes on the scene and he sees something here and he says, man, this is not the way to holiness because nobody can follow all, all 613 of these laws. There's, there's no way. The Pharisees thought they were opening the door for people towards holiness, but actually they were locking people out. There was no possible way that you could ever live by all of these laws. And so Jesus comes and he starts describing a new way, a new way in him that if you follow him, if you believe him, if you confess your sins, he will be faithful to forgive this new way. And the Pharisees oppose him because he comes in and describes this new way that is really just opposed to what they've been practicing. And so Jesus is seen here as really their, their enemy. Jesus was a threat to their objective because he was, in their minds, breaking the law and leading people astray. But as we know and as we read Scripture now, Jesus came not to destroy the law but to fulfill the law. And that's what he does. And he does it by showing us and his disciples and those who would follow him a new way. The next part of this passage, it says that the power of the Lord's healing was with Jesus. And that was clearly evident as you see another crowd around Jesus as he teaches. Many people were coming from all over the place. It even describes where these Pharisees, these religious leaders were coming from. From all over the land, they were coming because they heard about this Jesus. And part of the reason was because he was healing people, he was delivering people, and this was developing a great crowd around him. Now let's read in verses 18 and 19. It says this. We get into the heart of the story. So Jesus is teaching. He's preaching in somebody's home. It could have been Simon's home. But there he is uh, under the roof of somebody. And, and it says this in verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. Now if you read Matthew and Mark's gospel, we learn that there were four men. So four men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. I got to tell you, I, I just, I love this story. It's, it's an amazing story. And, and as we get into the heart of it, it's a challenging story for each and every one of us. It's going to cause some conviction in our hearts today. But I also think it's a really encouraging story as well because it encourages us about who this Jesus is and, and who we serve. Um, but let's reflect a little bit on, on what these friends do. I love these friends for, for several reasons, but let me just mention a few things worthy of pointing out. The first is this. I love this group of friends because they desperately wanted their friend to be healed. They desperately wanted to see this man healed. I love this, this group of four who, who carry this man on a mat, bring him up to the roof, lower him before Jesus. 
They desperately wanted to see their friend healed. It wasn't all about them. It was about the needs of their friend. As I thought about that, I was reflecting on my own friends. Are these the kind of friends that I have in my life? And also, is this the kind of friend that I am to my friends? Would I do everything to meet my friend's needs? Take a look at the friends that you have in your life. Do you have friendships like this? People who would drop everything in order to help you. Uh, People who would encourage you. People who, who would spend something in order to help you. These are the kinds of friendships that we want to enter. Friendships that that we have people around us who desperately want to see us grow. Desperately want to see us healed. Desperately want to see the very best for us. And I would say if you don't have those kind of friendships, begin to pray for them right now. And begin to develop them. Those friendships don't happen just overnight. They take time. Begin to invest in friendships like this. The other thing I love about these friends is this, is that they believe that Jesus could do something for their friend. They had faith. They had this strong belief that Jesus was the answer for their friend. And so they went to great lengths in order to get their friend before Jesus. They had heard about this Jesus. They had maybe even seen this Jesus or heard this Jesus speak, and they thought to themselves, wow, we have to get our friend in front of Jesus. If there's anybody on this planet who can do something for him, it's Jesus. Maybe they had even heard of the story that took place just verses early, earlier. Man, if Jesus can heal a leper, surely he can heal our friend with paralysis. This is not far out of the reach of Jesus. And so I love the faith of these friends that they, they, they believe, man, Jesus is part of the answer. The other thing I love about these friends is that the back row wasn't good enough for them. I really love that is that they come and there's a great crowd there. They bring their friend. I don't know how long of a walk it was, but they carry their friend. They notice, wow, there's a great crowd here. And in that moment, they could have just camped out in the back row and said, hey, buddy, this is as far as we can get. Let's pray for a miracle right here. But I love the fact that that back row wasn't good enough for them. They had to get their friend right in front of Jesus. They weren't satisfied with being onlookers. They weren't satisfied with being people on the fringes. They weren't satisfied with a mediocre faith. They wanted to be right at the heart of it. They wanted to be as close to Jesus as they could possibly get. And it caused me to reflect on this and ask myself, am I sitting in the back row in any area of my faith journey? Am I sitting in the back row in my prayer life? Am I sitting in the back row in my generosity? Am I sitting in the back row with my gratitude? Am I sitting in the back row with my hope for a miracle? Am I sitting in the back row? And I just was challenged in this to not be satisfied with the back row. I want to challenge you not to be satisfied with the back row. Come right up to Jesus. The last thing I'll say about the friends here is this, is I love how they did everything they could to bring their friend to Jesus. Think about this. Think about all the things they did in order to get their friend in front of Jesus. And there's this word in this passage here that I think 
can define us. And it's a tiny little word, but, but let, let, let's read it again. It says this, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleep mat. They tried to take him inside of Jesus, but they couldn't reach him. And then there's this word, so. Now, oftentimes what happens on the other side of, of our so is, well, we couldn't do it. We're sorry. I love the fact that the friends didn't just stop there. Oh man, there's a great crowd. Well, so I guess we'll go home. Or so we'll try again next time. So let's camp here and just see if we run into Jesus. No, imagine this story. We had this story in scripture, but it ended before the word so. You know, maybe we'd have some takeaways from it. I think the main takeaway would be, wow, there's a great crowd around Jesus. He's advancing his ministry. But after the word so, we really begin to see what faith can do. It's after the word so. It's after they, they see the barrier and they decide to climb over it that we really get to see the miracle happen. And I began to wonder, what are the barriers in my life? What are the barriers in your life? And what will you say after the word so? Man, there's this barrier in my friendship. So I'm going to stop trying. Oh, there's this difficulty in my marriage. There's not, by the way, in my marriage. So I'm going to give up. Oh, there's this barrier in, in me hearing from God right now. So I'm going to stop praying. I believe the miracles and the growth in our faith is determined on whether we're persevere past the so and over the barrier. And that's exactly what these friends did. They said, man, there's this great crowd. So well, let's carry him up to the roof. <laughs> just, just imagine this. Don't read through this story too fast. Imagine them carrying him up the ladder on the side of, uh, of the house. And so, you know, the, the, the guy on the, on the ground is kind of lifting it up, and the guy who's up on the ladder is down low. You know, they're, they're bringing this man all the way up the roof. This physical activity. Man, there's a great crowd. They couldn't get near Jesus, so they got him up on top of the roof. So now they're on top of the roof, thinking to themselves, okay, now what do we do? So they began to cut a hole in the ceiling. Now, a first century roof would look like this. A really fancy one, and Luke says it has tiles, so it was a pretty nice roof, actually, would be the first layer that you would see is tile. You'd remove the tiles, but then you wouldn't see to the floor yet. Then there'd be mud and there'd be broken straw, just clumped up and pressed hard. So you'd have to like saw through it with, with, with something. Maybe they had shovels, maybe they had some kind of tool that they could saw through it. So now imagine you're sawing through it. Remember, everybody's in the house underneath you. So as you're sawing it, where's all that mud and all that thatch and all that straw going? It's going on the heads of the people who are listening to Jesus, yet they keep going, and they keep going. And now imagine they're throwing the mud, throwing the straw, until finally they can see through to the bottom. So now what? Well, so we have another obstacle here. How are we going to get him down there? Well, we're not done yet. We came here on a mission, so we're going to lower him all the way down right in front of Jesus. I loved that all the barriers just became opportunities for these friends to see God do an amazing thing. And I pray that our faith would be the same, that we wouldn't be people who turn away just when obstacles and barriers get in our way, but we would find new ways to get over them, to pursue what Jesus has called us to.
This is how these friends responded. I wonder, friends, are we doing everything that we can to bring our friends to Jesus? You know, for them, it took creativity. Are we being creative? For them, we see urgency. Do we have a sense of urgency in our heart for our friends? For them, it took perseverance. There are several times where I'm sure they're like, man, can we get them up on top of the roof? All right, now we're up on the roof. Can we get them? Can we, can, should we really cut Peter's roof open? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, should we really lower him down? Well, well this far, might as well lower him down now. Lots of obstacles, yet they persevered. There was a cost. You know, I don't know. Maybe one of them had to go back and repair that roof or pay for it. There was a cost. You know, they could have lost their reputation here. They could have been kicked out of the town for their disruptive behavior. There was a team effort involved. Are we doing everything we can to get people in front of Jesus? Then the passage goes on and it says this. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, I'm going to stop here. I love this, how all of a sudden the, the, the roof is open, the man has been lowered down, and what does Jesus see first? He sees the friends. He sees the men. Oh, maybe he also sees the faith of the man on the mat. We're not sure about that, but he sees the men. He sees their faith. He sees them. Wow. Seeing their faith. God sees us when we step out in faith. God notices when we step out in faith. You know, we always like the feeling when people acknowledge our hard work and our effort. I can think of a time when I was playing hockey as a young kid and, and I was really learning how to skate. And one thing you do when you're learning how to skate is you learn how to skate and turn on all edges of your skate. There's actually two edges on every skate, so there's four edges uh, you know, on your skates. And so you can turn on your outside edge, your inside edge. And then you learn also how to stop on your inside edge, your outside edge. And I worked really hard at this. And it got to the point where actually my coach, I still remember it to this day, my coach said publicly in front of the whole team, Brian has worked really hard. He can stop and turn on all of his edges. I still remember that today. Today, it had such impact on me that my coach noticed what I had done. Now, just imagine, friends, that God, he notices when we step out in faith. For me, all that does for me is it makes me want to step out in faith more often. Man, I want God to, to notice that I'm serving him, that I'm living for him. An incredible thing. And so Jesus, he saw their faith, and then he said to the man, and now these are the red letter words here of Jesus. He says this, young man. Your sins are forgiven. Now, this is really interesting. Jesus sees the faith of the friends, and then the next thing he sees is the condition of the man. Now, most people would think he would first see that he was paralyzed. This must be his greatest need. But even before Jesus sees that, what he sees is a man in need of forgiveness. Now imagine the friends up at the roof, kind of looking down, right? They just went through all this struggle, through all of this work, 
in order to get their friend in front of Jesus. I'd imagine it's loud at this point. I mean, you just cut a hole in the roof and put your friend down it. So I'm imagining there's some commotion in the room. Like, hey, what's Jesus going to do with this? Man, they made a real mess here. How dare they interrupt our meeting? And and, and I can imagine the four on the roof going, hey, hey, can can you hear what's going on? I think Jesus just said, I think Jesus just said something. Did you hear what he said? What did he say? And then one of our friends saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, he said, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the four of them kind of looking at each other going, well, that's not what we came here for. What are you talking about? His sins are forgiven. No, 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 no. Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we're looking for you to heal him. (laughs) No, Jesus starts with saying, no, young man, your sins are forgiven. And this brings a truth before us that when Jesus looks at each and every one of us, the greatest need that he sees is not our physical need, it's our spiritual need. That you need forgiveness of your sins. This is your greatest need, whether you know it or not. I love how in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is is telling us about this Jesus, and and he uses this word authority, and he's talking about the authority of Jesus. Over and over again, you begin to see the authority of Jesus, and it starts... Early on in the book of Luke, you begin to see how Jesus has authority in his teaching. And then there are more stories later on, and you begin to see how Jesus has authority to um, cast out demons, authority over the evil one, even in the wilderness, and then casting out demons. And then Luke kind of opens up this whole area of healing that Jesus has authority over all diseases, even leprosy. And now Luke is opening up a new realm of his authority, and it's the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus is paying the picture, uh, Luke is paying the picture of who this Jesus is. Let's read on in verse 21. It says this, But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And you know what I would say about that? They're exactly right. They're 100% right. You see, to the Pharisees, this made no sense. It probably offended them greatly. Who does this man think he is? How can he forgive sins? Sins are committed against God. Therefore, God's the only one who can forgive sins. Listen, when somebody wrongs you, you can say to them, I forgive you. But it doesn't work if Jenny wrongs Sarah and Margaret goes to Jenny and says, I forgive you. It only means something if Sarah goes to Jenny and forgives her. Only the one who was wronged can forgive. So how could Jesus forgive sins when sins are committed against God. You see, for Jesus to forgive all the sins of this man, it must mean that all were committed against Jesus, which would then mean that he is God. See, Jesus knew the reasoning of the Pharisees. He understood it. He didn't correct them by saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not God. No, they were right. Only God can forgive sins. And this is why Jesus came. This is why God came as one of us, to forgive our sins, invite us back into relationship with the Lord. Jesus was standing in front of the Pharisees right here, and the Pharisees were missing the fact that God was standing right before them. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. 
know, many people will say, I understand that there's a God, but what's this whole Jesus thing about? Maybe you've heard that question before. And I think actually, once we understand that Jesus is God, the question is answered. See, Jesus is not some separate being or a second-rate reflection of God, like a son bearing the likeness of a father but isn't really the father. No, Jesus is God. He has always been, always will be. Jesus is God in human flesh with a name. And this is so important to us because God came down in order to show us the way to himself. Jesus is God. I I used to like watching that show called Undercover Boss. I don't know if you've seen it before, but it's where the boss will will dress up and, and hide himself, but then do a bunch of the different jobs within his company, and the people don't know it's him until the very end he reveals that it's him or her, and, and people are like, wow, I can't believe that was you. <laughs> and, and really, what Jesus is doing here, he's come, this is God, and he's revealing more and more over time that this is in fact God. This is who he is. Too often, we downgrade Jesus, and it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No, friends, God, and God came as one of us, Jesus. Jesus is God, and the spirit that Jesus gives is the spirit of God. It's all one and the same. And so why do we need this Jesus? Well, Jesus isn't some other thing. No, Jesus is God, and praise God, out of, out of the grace of God, he came down as one of us to show us the way, how to live, how to connect with him. He came down so that our sins can be forgiven, Praise God, what good news. Let's keep going. Verse 22 says this, Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? I, I love this part of the story because Jesus, he sees, he, it's almost he can hear their hearts. And this is true today, friends, is that the Lord, he knows our hearts. The passage goes on in verse 23. It says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Jesus is asking a question here that he knows how they will answer. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? The people would answer by saying, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because you could say it and you wouldn't know if it was done. It's much harder to say you are healed. Because if you say you are healed, we will be able to see if that person is healed. And so then Jesus says, okay, well then to prove it, he goes on and he says this, listen, I'm going I'm to prove this to you, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's saying, listen, if you think it's harder to say you are healed, okay then, well then, get up, <laughs> take your mat, and go home. And through his healing, this man, he's saying, I also have the authority to forgive sins. And so he turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. Just one final thing before I share some application on this. I always find it interesting that Jesus said, pick up your mat. So he says, stand up. So, and, and the paralyzed man does. So this reflects not only his, his forgiveness healing, but his physical healing. Um, but then Jesus says, pick up your mat. Why? He doesn't need that mat anymore. What people think they're referring to is one of those mats with with wood um, on the sides of it so people could carry those who were physically injured. So why would this man need that? Notice also Jesus doesn't say, clean up your mess. He doesn't say that either. He says, no, pick up your mat. Why? I think that Jesus wanted this man to take that mat home 
and then put it, maybe frame it and put it on the wall. So every time he walked by it, he'd remembered, oh my goodness, Jesus healed me and he forgave me of my sins. Now, I think we need to do a better job of remembering all that the Lord has done in our life too. So I just reflect on that. What are some takeaways from this story? Because the people went away in awe of what Jesus had done. And the man walked home to go live the rest of his life praising Jesus. A few words of application. What should we see from this? The first is this. We should see that Jesus is Lord. Jesus just expanded his resume. Uh, He now has the authority to forgive sins. He reveals that he does. And I remember that the first creed of Christianity is not the Apostles' Creed. It's not the Nicene Creed. It's actually a creed that people would say before their baptisms in the first century. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12. We see it in Romans 10. And the creed is this, Jesus is Lord. I think this story reminds us who this Jesus is. He's not just a reflection of the Father. He is God. Jesus is Lord. So is he the Lord of your life? Second thing I think we should see in this is that Jesus will meet us as we step out in faith. It's when we step out in faith that we really encounter Jesus. Our relationship grows. I wonder, as the disciples were were looking at this, and they saw the faith of the friends, and they saw how Jesus noticed the faith of the friends, I wonder for Peter, before he got out of the boat and walked on water, if he remembered these friends. Wow, if I step out on faith, Jesus is going to meet me there. I wonder if Andrew thought of these friends' faith before he brought the loaves and the bread to Jesus. Wow, I remember that when you step out in faith, Jesus meets you there and miracles happen. I I wonder if we will learn that lesson today, that when we step out in faith, Jesus meets us there and does miraculous things. The next thing I think we should see from this and really be challenged is that we need to bring our friends to Jesus. And not just to the back rows, but right to Jesus. We need to be asking the Lord, Lord, who in my life are you calling me to share my testimony with, to bring right to your feet, Jesus? And uh, this is a call, again, to be the light in the world, to be people who are attractive, attracting people to Jesus Christ. And final thing I'll say is this, is that we need to see from this story that we each have a choice. We can either reject or rejoice in Jesus. And the contrast is so beautifully done by Luke between the Pharisees and the crowd, between the Pharisees and the friends. You see, the Pharisees were looking for Jesus to go wrong, looking for him to break their box that they had created. And so they missed the miracle. They missed the kingdom at hand. But the friends came to Jesus because they trusted him. And they got to experience the joy of what Jesus can do. They got to experience the power of Jesus. And so I would just urge us in this season in our living to not come before Jesus as skeptics, but come before Jesus trusting him because it's in this trust that we'll see him move and do miracles in our lives. So I hope that this message has been helpful to us. I hope that it's challenged us to think of those friends that we need to bring to Jesus. Now, you know, you don't have to cut the hole in any of our campuses and lower them before us, but what does it look like for you to engage in your friendships and share Jesus with them? I really encourage you to think about that. Go to your solitary place with that question and ask the Lord to meet you there. I pray that this has been helpful. 
for transformation's sake. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.